You're listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net. And thanks for joining us. Good morning. I think about uh, Becky's fifth grade teacher. Uh, so I was a teacher for about 10 years. And the first year I taught, I taught, um, I taught fifth grade. And uh, uh, I remember I, I absolutely loved it, uh, ex- except that um, my classroom was mostly boys. And between fifth and sixth grade is kind of that time when they start to stink a little bit. Uh, and my classroom didn't have great ventilation. So you know, we had good conversations about that. Uh, anyway, uh, but what a great opportunity we have to be able to serve there. Uh, we're back in the book of James. Today, we're going to be talking about family favorites. So I want to ask you, uh, how many of you were the oldest sibling in your family? OK, look at that. All right. OK, how many of you were in the middle somewhere? That's the majority. OK, makes sense. OK, uh, how many of you were the snot? I mean, not how many of you were the youngest? They, whoa, look at that. Uh, maybe they aren't the majority in the middle. Uh, OK, how many of you were the favorites? Oh, look at that. Yeah, OK. Um, so yeah, I know that you know, in our home, we have six kids. And you know, we try not to have any favorites. I tell all of them you're my favorite. So yeah. Um, but it's interesting. You always kind of figure out, or you think you do, uh, who, who was actually the favorite growing up. Uh, today, we're talking about family favorites. We're not talking about our home, necessarily. We're talking about the church. What is it like? This is family. And, and uh, sometimes we treat people with favoritism, right? So that's what we're going to be talking about today. But before we get there, last week, uh, James said this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. He also said, do not merely listen to the word. Do what it says, right? So my question to you is, how did it go last week? How, how did it go for you? Were you able to practice listening? Listening to God, listening to each other, okay? Um, And the wisdom behind this is really big. It's really good. But were you able to practice? Or did you go back to old patterns? When you heard someone speak, I defended myself, or, you know, or did you just respond right away instead of hearing everything through? Were you able to repeat back, here's what you said, here's what I heard you say, okay? If you're here today and you're saying, I didn't do such a great job, uh, this isn't going to happen overnight. This takes very intentional practice. You got to work at it. So my question to you would be, what can you do this week to work on that? What can you do this week to continually work on this? It takes changing our character is something we have to work at. It just, it's not going to just happen. It'd be really nice if you know, uh, we just asked God, hey, would you just change me? And, and it would happen like that. That's not how God does things. Uh, not necessarily. He gives us his wisdom, and he gives us the option to, to, to choose. We can choose to follow him and trust him, or we can do things our own broken way. 
So um, that was last week. This week, we're talking about family favorites, right? And I just want you to imagine a little bit, go back in time. And the guy who's writing this book is James. You know, he's the brother of Jesus. Uh, his background, can you imagine family favorites in his home? <laughs> uh, I don't know. You know, maybe Jesus was the favorite. I could see sometimes where maybe he wasn't. I, I, you know too much. <laughs> you can read my thoughts. No, you know, I, I don't know. Uh, but um, that was his life growing up. But I can see him, you know, even when he was a teenager and, and getting older, Jesus leaves home and he goes to serve people who are like outcasts in the area of Galilee. And he and his brothers, uh, they see Jesus getting into some trouble because he thinks he's the Messiah. <laughs> and he's doing all these miracles, drawing too much attention. And they basically go, and they're like, you know, Jesus just kind of lost it up there. Uh, we're just going to try to take him home. And, and uh, they don't really believe that Jesus is who he says he is. That was James. But then over time, he believes. And he sees all of that experience and the knowledge. But then later on, Jesus dies, comes back to life, and he left this job, right? And James is in the church. And I could just imagine if we were back in time, one of those churches, that James could have been out there greeting people as they walked in the door. Or maybe he would be sitting here with us and just wondering what he sees. Um, I could also imagine him, you know, on the way out as you leave today, he's just observing, saying hi to people, but seeing how we interact with each other. And he probably did that in multiple churches. And kind of based on those observations, he writes this section that we're going to look at today, James 2, 1 to 13. It says this, my brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you, are, you, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, you shall not commit adultery, also said, you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So we're going to look at three things in this passage today. And the first thing that I just want to point out, it's also in the previous passage, is that James appeals to the church's sense of family. He starts out with this phrase, right? Dear brothers and sisters, my brothers and sisters, the idea of, of family. We are 
We are siblings. And he talks about who we are siblings under or in, right? He says, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. We belong to each other and we belong to Jesus. And Jesus, the descriptor here is glorious, glorious Lord. What makes Jesus glorious? Go back to 2 Corinthians 8, 9. It says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Philippians, it says that Jesus didn't consider equality with God as something to be grasped, grasped on or grasped to. So he emptied himself and he became a man. He chooses to leave the culture and the environment of heaven, a perfect place where you don't need anything, and he chooses to be born as a human. Hebrews chapter 2, 14, uh, there's this little phrase that says, he too shared in their humanity, talking about Jesus. He chooses to share in what, he, what, he, what God creates, what he created. He becomes creation. He clothes himself in humanity. What a status drop, <laughs> Right? But that's what he does. Um, this, is, this is Jesus. And so he, this is, he's, that's what's kind of glorious about him, is that even though he's majestic, he chooses to identify to just be me, to be with me, to see us where we are, and, and to be with us. Um, he, he says, James says, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. That's kind of what he's talking about today. Was favoritism a problem in the early church? When has it not been a problem? <laughs> it's definitely a problem. But back then, even in, in Jewish culture and in the church, there were these principles, there was God's law that, told, that told, uh, told them how to live, how to treat people who were different from themselves. And some of these, uh, was it a problem? Yes, it was a problem. Deuteronomy 10, 17 through 19 says, For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. And you are to love those who are foreigners, for you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. Interesting, he brings it down to them. You were, you were foreigners. So, and God himself, uh, he doesn't show partiality. He's not a dad who has favorites. So, no favoritism. Uh, Leviticus 19, when a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love them as yourself. For you were foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. This was supposed to guide culture, was supposed to guide society and how people treated each other in, back in the early church and throughout the Old Testament, right? Um, did this, is this what re was really happening? For some reason, James has to tell people, you know, let's not show favoritism. It didn't happen, it wasn't a change that happened overnight, but you go back to the early church, these were the principles, yet, uh, and by the way, there was this command, the, the Great Commission, go and make disciples of all nations. Go and include people. Go to them in their, in their environment and, and bring them in, right? Make, make them Jesus followers. Uh, even though this was there, it didn't happen right away. You remember Jesus, uh, after stating the Great Commission, 
uh, he gives it to the disciples. He dies, comes back to life. And the early church just kind of stayed in Jerusalem. This book is written to the scattered. So obviously, God did something to move them out. Um, but there was this interesting aha experience. When you look at uh, Peter, Peter, one of the apostles, God calls him and says, I'm sending a couple of people to you to your gate. And they're basically going to come. They're going to have you go with them because I want you to share Jesus with a Roman centurion and his family. They're Gentiles. And the Jews didn't mix with Gentiles. They definitely didn't eat with them. That would be like, no, you're over there. We're over here. You know, we don't mix. And yet God's calling Peter to go and do that. And, and he responds, Lord, I would never. I'm not, I'm not doing that. That's, that would make me impure. Do you really want me to do that? And God basically tells him, yeah, I want you to go. And he responds in Acts 10.34, he says, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. I now realize. He had been following Jesus for years. Right? And yet, at some point in the process, it hits him. And he has this aha moment. And he gets it. And he goes, and, and this Gentile Roman comes into relationship with God, and the Holy Spirit is poured out into his life, and Peter sees it. And he's like, wow, right? And yet, so Peter gets it, but then he's got to go back to the apostles. The other apostles, do they get it yet? No. James becomes an elder in Jerusalem. Does he get it yet? Not, not really. And what happens over time, you've got Paul and Barnabas they begin to preach to the Gentiles. They go to Gentile territory and they begin to preach to Gentiles. Gentiles are coming to Christ. And Peter goes to visit one of these churches and he's eating with them, spending time with them. Basically, we're family. And what happens is some guys come from Jerusalem sent by James, the author of, this, uh, of our book, right? Sent from Jerusalem to visit. And when they get there, they're like, ah, we're not mixing with you guys. You know, we'll watch. We'll, we'll eat over here. And Peter is kind of caught, well, you're my friends, and, and, and you're believers. I don't know what to do. And he sides with the Jews. And he goes and he sits over here, and he stops eating with the Gentiles. And Paul, Paul calls him out on it. He calls him out. He basically rebukes him in public. And then he basically says this, favoritism doesn't line up with the gospel. Favoritism doesn't line up with the gospel. This isn't, this, how does this line up with the Great Commission? <laughs> Go and make disciples of all nations. You, you, come, you were just eating with us, and now you're not? You hypocrite. He calls them out on it. And so James is calling the church, he's calling them, he's saying, let's be careful of favoritism. Let's, it, shouldn't even, it shouldn't happen. But it's something to keep in mind is this idea of accepting all people isn't something that happens overnight. And some of us think, well, I don't really struggle with this. Hmm. All people naturally have a scale of values by which they measure others. When you walk into a room, the first people you notice and... Um, the first people you notice 
are, are those going to be the, uh, probably going to be like the ones that are like me, the ones I can relate to. We just kind of gravitate towards those people. And if I don't know you, there's a chance I'm going to kind of like, I'm, I'm scared. I'm going to turn my back and I'm not going to be rude about it, but, but I'm not necessarily going to go out of my way to look for you, to include you. That's just, that's kind of natural for us, unfortunately. And uh, um, this idea of, of partiality, what is it? The word partiality, uh, it's kind of a mixture of two words. One is par- partia or face. And the other is like, I differentiate. I differentiate based on face value. Um, And that's what James is saying. You're separating people based on your first impressions, on what you see outwardly rather than what you see on the inside. I got a note from Gary this week, Gary Bashir's, when I was thinking about this. and, And he said this, the proper thing is to look at their relationship with Jesus. If that person is a brother or sister, then they are part of the family. Whether rich or poor, whether Republican or Democrat, whether citizen or undocumented, male or female, clean kept or unkempt, if not a brother or sister, then they need to be treated with respect and love so that they can feel and understand the Jesus story. Um, I was asked this morning, I should probably add this in. Real quick question. How many of you know, have seen the zombie hunter? Come on. Okay, okay. Okay, yeah. Okay. Uh, Okay, some people have seen the zombie hunter, right? Zombie hunter is a man who sits over here uh, 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 just off of Burnside by Del Taco, and he has a sign, and it says zombie hunter. It doesn't say, give me money. It doesn't see, say, you know, I'll take anything. It basically says zombie hunter. And I've driven past this man many times. And I thought, what? Okay. Um, and and I, I got to admit, I'm a bit of a hypocrite. I was planning for this sermon. And I thought, you know what? Now would be a good time to go see him. <laughs> um, and, but I went, I stopped, parked the car, walked over there, and just started talking to him. His name is Dave. And uh, uh, he's very with it. But we just had this great conversation for, for a while, and we just talked about stuff. And I asked him, what's with the sign? Why zombie hunter? And he's like, well, I really don't want to ask people for money. And I want to kind of lighten their day. <laughs> like, that's, that's pretty creative, you know. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, we talked for a while. I'm like, I'd like to come back and talk sometime. But just the idea of, you know, how often do I give someone like that some time just to, just to talk to them? Um, or do I just look at the face value of things and just ignore? James, in, in first, he, he's, in a, he's talking about favoritism, but what he does is he gives this example of what favoritism looks like. And it's just one example of possibly what many could look like. And this is the example, right? Suppose a man comes into your meeting, he gives this whole picture. The guy comes in, He's wearing a gold ring. He's got nice clothes. And you go up to him, or I go up to him, hey, look at you. Come on in. I've got the seat for you right up front. Have a seat. And then Dave comes in. And you're like, hey, how about, how about you? Maybe you sit back there, you know? Um, and maybe, maybe you sit over there, over where you're, you're kind of out of the way. 
And James says, that shouldn't be. Why are we giving that man preference? Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? The idea is these two people are brothers and sisters. <laughs> they're family. And if they're not family, we want to share Christ with them. Um, so here's a question for you. By, by what scale of values do I measure people? Ask yourself. When you walk into a room or anybody, how do you measure people? Could it be by level of education or career preferences? We think alike, right? Could it be sports. When I first came to Oregon, the whole duck and beaver thing, I, I, it's like, what is, what is that? Um, and uh, it's a pretty big thing. Where I come from in Paraguay, there are two teams that are important, Olympia and Cerro. And you have no idea what I'm talking about, OK? They're soccer teams. Soccer, the most important sport in the world. Uh, <laughs> some people agree. OK, don't throw rocks at me. Don't discriminate. Uh, okay, uh, but it could be political positions, right? That's one that definitely separates us. Hey, if we agree, we can be friends. If we disagree, you go over there. Hang out with your kind. It's something we do. It could be the color of skin. Could be nationality or ethnicity. What's interesting is James, he says, but if you show favoritism, you sin. <laughs> and in the previous chapter, he kind of describes sin. He says we sin when we're tempted by our evil desires. And then when we act, when we sin, it gives birth to death. That's not a pretty baby. That's ugly. And he's saying when we discriminate, when we show favoritism, it's, it's sin. It's ugly. And we might think, well, it's not that big a deal. He really wants us to know it's a big deal because he says, you know, uh, some people, if you say you don't commit adultery, uh, right, there are two, there are, for he who said there are, two, there are two laws, right, don't commit adultery, no murder. If you commit one and not the other, then does that mean you're not guilty? If you commit adultery and not murder, you, can you say, yeah, I'm good? No, he's saying, if you commit one, you're guilty of all of it. That's what he, he basically says. You, if you commit one, you're guilty of all of it. And it is a sin. It separates you from God. Sin uh, is, we deserve being separated from God eternally for sin. And so this is what James is calling, it's calling out. Uh, and then he goes on, he describes God's scale of values. It is a big deal, but the idea of favoritism, it is a big deal. But then he goes on and describes God's scale of values, like we can see things through our broken lens or we can see things through God's lens. And listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world? Okay, that's our worldly scale, our broken scale. Has he not chosen the poor to be rich in faith? And to inherit the kingdom, he promised those who love him. I, I think about this. When I've, I've traveled in, in Paraguay, I remember going to places that were really, really poor. Um, one of those places, I just remember, uh, what, when you get there, you kind of see what people would normally eat, like what their daily rations would be. And you show up, 
and they will go all out and cook. Take, like, they would kill their best animals and, and like chickens or pigs. And, and they would, I just remember having this giant spaghetti with all this meat and huge heaping plate. And that's what they serve us. And they don't normally, like they'll give you their cups. I remember growing up, there was like one cup. For, they'll give you their best. These are the poor. And this is how they love. And he's just saying, the way God sees things, he sees the poor as rich in faith. The opportunities they have to trust God are amazing. And, and what they have to offer, it, it, it's great. And then he goes on, and James really lays into the rich and even the congregation for preferring, but you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? I think of a guy like Saul of Tarsus, a guy who came from wealthy stock, who was studied under Gamaliel, a great, a great teacher in Jerusalem, and he just persecutes the church. He's against Jesus. He brings them to court, has them slaughtered. And James is saying, look, they're the ones persecuting you. And when they come to church, you have them sit in the front and the poor man in the back? This, something's not right. Um, the third thing that James calls the Jesus follower to is to live out their faith to, by loving your neighbor as yourself. He's always talking about living out your faith. But this phrase, love, love your neighbor as yourself, it's something we've heard many times, but I just can just imagine thinking James growing up with Jesus. One day Jesus leaves, right? And he leaves home to go and serve people in Galilee. Those who were outsiders, the broken, the poor, the lame, the sick, and he goes to serve them. And when he goes and he and his family end up going to find Jesus because Jesus is claimed to be this Messiah, they try to rescue him. They're like, you know, he's a little crazy. He's a little crazy. Uh, we just need to take him home. Jesus turns around and he says, they, they basically tell him, hey, your mom and your brothers are here to get you. And, and Jesus says, my mom and my, my brothers are those who follow me, like looking around. These are my mom and my brothers. My mom and my brothers are those who, who do the will of God. He basically owns a different family and is willing to put aside his own flesh and blood for this family. What an amazing thought. But Jesus, uh, he, he, James grows up here. Jesus, when he defines who your neighbor is, he uses the parable of the Samaritan. And he basically says, your neighbor is, is your enemy, the one you would hate. Because the Jews and the Samaritans, they hated each other. And he says, your neighbor is, is your enemy. And Jesus would flat out say, love your enemy. Pray for them. That's who your neighbor is. So my question for for me and for you as we think about this phrase is, what does loving my neighbor look like? Is there someone I have a hard time loving? Is there someone in your life who has been antagonistic towards you? Is there a relationship that is broken in your life, maybe because of something you did or someone did to you? What does loving your neighbor look like? I think of a, there was this kid, I used to work at a youth correction home a few years ago, 
and there was a new kid who had come in to be part of this group. Um, and uh, normally during staff transitions, we'd have about 30 minutes where we just had to meet together as staff to kind of find out where every kid is at and if they're just to be consistent, right? And uh, during those 30 minutes, we'd have all the kids basically go to their rooms. These are teenagers, right? Uh, and this kid, uh, I call him E, you know, I basically had to go say, hey, would you please go to your room? And he looked at me and said, I don't have to do what you're telling. I don't, I don't have to listen to you. I don't want to do that. I don't care. I'm like, you know, would you please go to your bedroom? Um, we need to do a staff turnover, and this is just normal. This is what we do here. He's like, I don't have to listen to you. I got things to do. I'm like, okay. He said, I need to do my laundry. So I asked him, you know what? How about you give me your laundry? I'll go do your laundry for you if you would just please go to your room. And he said, you would do my laundry? <laughs> and I looked at him, and I was like, I just had to look at him. And, and he knew I, was, I, I meant it, like, I'm going to do your laundry. And so he just turned and walked into his room and closed the door, and he stayed there. Um, but this idea of loving someone who is antagonistic, who's being a jerk, right? How do you, that's what, that's what James is saying. We want to love people who, who aren't just our friends, but people who aren't. This little phrase James uses uh, first, he talks about speaking and acting as those who love. Uh, I, before I get this, I just want to mention one little thing about grace, about our church. One of the things I absolutely love about Grace Community Church is how we, and the next line, right, speak and act in line with this loving your neighbor as yourself. Um, grace is, first of all, it's a generous church. But I think about some little things that are kind of big. Uh, one, an investment that we made a few years ago in something that's called Immigrant Connection. I think about our Hispanic brothers and sisters. We, when, when I first came here in 2008, we were just a little group of people that met back there in this little room, in the great room. And over the years, we've come in, in, in here, and we're a little bit smaller, maybe about this size now. Um, but um, one of the things that is a big struggle is, is trying to help people get documented. Right, and um, I think of the story of this lady who started Immigrant Connection. She has a, a degree in counseling. And when she saw this need, she basically said, I am gonna put aside my degree and my career, and I'm gonna go and train myself to help these people. And so she is uh, Serena, Serena Ranabarger. And now there are two other people, that help, at least two other people that help her do what she does. But every year, there are about 50, at least 50 cases that go through them and get help to be able to get documentation. Uh, one of those stories, her name uh, is Edith. Uh, a few years ago, um, for about six months, I didn't see her husband come with her and found out, for whatever reason, he just couldn't be there anymore. And so she was stuck. Uh, she had a child and pregnant as well, and she had to make all these changes, lost her apartment, ended up living in a home with another family renting a room. Um, and then the care team kicked in, and we ended up finding her a trailer for about $3,000, and a bunch of guys from Comunidad and Grace went, and they fixed it up. <laughs> and so she moved in, and this was something she could sustain. Um, she worked hard. She was lined up for a promotion, and she couldn't get it because of documentation. 
And when that possible promotion came up, she basically had to say, I can't because of this. When they found out she didn't have the right paperwork, they're like, well, we have to let you go. And by God's grace, that didn't happen. <laughs> but she called me a few months ago just to say, I want you to know I, I am a permanent resident. I just got my papers today. <laughs> That's one. Another one is a brother who I've known for years. He's, he's been here 30, over 30 years. He was a cook for 28. And uh, he was in process once we started talking about doing things right. You know, he got in the process, and he waited for years to get his paperwork, and it just didn't happen, didn't happen. Last year, he got into an accident where two people died. And if you're undocumented and you think the police are coming, your first instinct is to run, right? His wife is in the car. She's, she's stuck in the car. And her, his son is like 15, 16. He's over there trying to help mom. And he's thinking, I got to get out of here. And as he's thinking that, the son calls him, Dad, you need to stay. So he stayed. Um, but he called me two months ago and said, hey, I'm wondering if I can bring food to Comunidad because I'd like to celebrate. I have my residency. <laughs> so right here, we prayed with them, and he served food, and we ate right in your chairs where you're sitting now. But just what God is doing in people's lives, it's because we're in a place where God is at work. And this is a generous church. I think of... Um, these ideas, the care team and what they do, and there are a couple guys from Comunidad, people from Comunidad who are on, on that team as well. I think of relation, uh, so one thing we can do is give, but one thing that God is desiring for us is to build relationships. I think of our student ministry. We have a number of kids from third service who come to student, student ministry Wednesday nights, and they're connected. Um, I see uh, women's ministry. A few weeks ago, they were, they were all in here, but there was also a Hispanic thing going on in the building at the same time. I look at the care team. Care team. I look at children's ministry events. Our services every now and then that we do are combined. Advent conspiracy. There are a number of things that we're thinking, how can we build relationships? We're going to celebrate differences and think about how can we best reach our community. The best way to do it is if we do it in unity. Like, you don't have to become Hispanic. <laughs> That's not the goal, right? But, but, but we want to work together. We want to see each other as family. Um, that's, that's the goal. Uh, that, that's, what we're, that's what we're striving for. And this idea of this law, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law of freedom. The law of freedom. This, the wisdom of this world is I live for myself. And that kind of wisdom, it doesn't bring freedom. It brings brokenness. It brings division. Personal lives being broken, we can see it in people's lives. We can see it at work. We can see it at school, on the streets. It just separates people, divides people. The wisdom that comes from God is one that brings freedom. Uh, James goes on in the previous chapter, he basically says, talking about the law of freedom, whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. When I think of the law of freedom, I think about who Jesus is for me and what he did to free me. And what Jesus did is he left his throne, he became a man. He disadvantaged himself for me. That's what Jesus did for me. 
And the law of freedom is me turning around and imitating Jesus. I want to be like him to those around me. That's, that's, what we're, that's what we're trying to do. And I love this little phrase at the end because if we do this and continue in it, we will be blessed by what we do. God's freedom, the way we live, we follow him, it doesn't bind us. It frees us. It's kind of, it sounds opposite, a law and freedom. <laughs> but actually it is. It does give freedom. How, how do we measure the way we follow Jesus. I think sometimes we measure it by our knowledge, and I think it's important to read our Bibles. It's really important to know what it says. I think it's important to serve, to be involved in people's lives, to find ways to serve. But sometimes we can do those things, and they don't flow from a, from a place of love. Like, I'm just doing it because I have to, or, you know... And the law of freedom starts from recognizing that Jesus loves me, and I want to love others. Um, so I think when we, when we measure ourselves and we measure what we do, it needs to be measured by how am I loving people around me? How am I loving those around me? And at the end here, basically, James says this, uh, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. And then this little phrase, mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy disadvantaging myself for others, sometimes for things they don't deserve, like giving someone something they don't deserve. That's, that's mercy. I'd like to invite the worship team up as we consider this. Why do I follow Jesus? Would you consider that question? Why do you follow Jesus? If you're a Jesus follower, why do you do it? I follow Jesus because he loves me. He gave himself for me. As I mentioned, he didn't consider equality with God as something to be grasped, but he emptied himself. He became a man. He chooses to identify with me, to become human, to come. He takes my, my sin, and he assumes the blame for it. He takes my sin and carries it on his shoulders, as if he did it. This is what he has done for me. I love Jesus because he takes the blame of my sin upon himself, and that's what he does for you. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I'd like to invite you to, to come to Jesus, to choose to follow him. And this, after, this, uh, this morning, we have this option. If you would like to say, Jesus, I follow you with my life, Jay is right over there, and he would like, uh, if you would like to get baptized, and if you'd like to make that a public statement, you can do it today. Just go talk to him. And uh, Jerry Smith is over there. He's in his trunks. Uh, not yet, but he will get in his. Uh, he, he'll be ready. But you can go talk to him and, and make that decision today. Um, one thing I just want to uh, say as we, as we move into more worship is Grace Community Church, Comunidad de Gracia, is a place where you're welcome. Your family, you belong here. That's worship. Thank you for joining us for Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church here in Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net.